No, for, for thousands, I'd say thousands of years, people have had this very strange obsession with the end of the world. Like people are just fascinated with the end of the world, making predictions about when the world's going to end. Uh, back in, in 1910, people were convinced that the world was going to be destroyed by Halley's Comet. Uh, an astro- or, um, astronomer, he was uh, kind of paying attention to the track that the Halley's Comet was coming on, and they discovered what they believed to be this poisonous gas that was in the tail of the comet. And they thought it was going to get so close to Earth that it was going to just kind of choke out life on Earth, that people were going to suffocate and, and, and die because of this poisonous gas. So people went crazy, and they went and started to buy gas masks. They started to buy these things called comet pills, hoping to survive. And people were preparing, thinking this is going to be the end of the world. And of course, well, it wasn't. Back in 1999, uh, there was an event coming up called Y2K, where the start of, of the new millennium. And what's amazing for me is that not a single one of you students were alive for, for Y2K. That just kind of blows my mind. But here, here's what was, was going on. You see, computers up until that point had used just two digits for years. So, for instance, the year 1994 would be represented by 94. The year 1999 would be represented by 99. And they were worried that when the millennium happened, when the calendars changed over to January 1st, 2000 at midnight, that the computers would not be able to process the two zeros. And they were worried that all the computers were going to malfunction, shut down, and all over the world just catastrophe was going to happen because the ent- all the, the computers, the databases were just going to crash. So people began to, to stockpile buying ammunition and food and, and preparing for doomsday to happen on January 1st, 2000. And of course it didn't. And then I'd say most recently... Um, back in 2012, about a decade ago, people were convinced that the world was going to end on December 21st, 2012. Uh, there was a lot of talk about this. There were movies made about it. But one of the ancient Mayan calendars ended on December 21st, 2012. And people thought that this date, the end of the calendar, would trigger the apocalypse. And that the earth would be destroyed, the world would come to an end. People just had this strange fascination for whatever reason with the end of the world and trying to predict when it's going to happen. So tonight what we're going to do is we are going to talk about the end times. And I'll I'll be honest, this is a topic I have tried to avoid preaching about for six years I've been on staff for six years, and I have tried to avoid preaching about this on a Wednesday night. But this is also the topic that has probably been the most requested from students over the past six years. And as we were talking through this series and talking about, you know, we're going to cover heaven and hell and and Satan and angels and demons, it kind of seemed to to fit and to make sense that we cover this topic as well. Now, the reason I've been kind of hesitant and reluctant to preach about it is because I'm not super confident in terms of what I believe about the topic. And I know some of you might think that's weird, like, hey, you're a pastor, you study the Bible, like, you should know what you think about it. But the truth is, I'm not super confident in terms of what I believe about the end times. 
You see, before going into seminary, which is, you know, kind of fancy name for, for Bible college, before going into seminary, I was, had, had pretty good confidence about what I believed about the end times. I had a pretty good idea of how it was all going to unfold. I had, you know, you know Jesus is going to rapture up the Christians then there's going to be this seven years of tribulation with this Antichrist. Then Jesus is going to come back and he's going to throw the Antichrist and, and Satan into prison. And then Jesus is going to rule for a thousand years. At the end of it, he's going to, going to throw Satan into the lake of fire. Like I had a whole timetable for how it was all going to, going to uh, come about. And, and my belief about the end times, it was really shaped by, by two things. One, by, by the church I was part of here at Bell Shoals, it was kind of the, that was the common belief. And secondly, by a really well-known group of uh, books called Left Behind. How many of you have heard of the Left Behind books or movies before? Okay, so those were really popular. They came out when I was, when I was a kid, and they really um, got people talking and thinking about the end times. But here's what happened. When I got to seminary, I was shocked, I was amazed at how many different views and opinions there were about the end times. There were all these fancy theological terms that I was introduced to, things like pre-tribulation and post-tribulation, things like pre-millennial and amillennial and post-millennial, millennial, covenant theology and dispensationalism. And if you're hearing those things and you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about, consider yourself lucky. Like you're, you're not missing out by not knowing those things. But here's what happened. As I studied these different views and was introduced to these different ideas about the end times, I became less and less convinced about what I actually believed. And I ended up graduating seminary with really no idea where I stood on many of these topics. I didn't graduate with greater clarity. I was more confused than ever. And even to this day, as I've prepared for this message, like I don't hold super strong opinions on many of the topics when it comes to, to the doctrine of, of end times. But here's what I think is important for us to understand, what I think often gets missed in, in, in church and in the kind of Christian circles. So much of what people teach and promote when it comes to the end times, it's really just speculation. It's really just people's best guess based on their interpretation of certain passages in Scripture. It's not nearly as definitive and clear and certain as people often make it seem. But there are also things in the Bible that, that are, talk about the end times that are very certain and are very clear. And I'm afraid that what happens is we get so caught up in, in all these speculations and guessing about all these things that we don't pay attention to the things that the Bible is actually very clear about when it comes to the end times. So what I want to do tonight is take a look at three aspects of the end times that we can be certain about. Now we'll get into a few different uh, views and interpretations on some things, but for the most part tonight, we're going to focus on things that pretty much all Christians agree about. These aren't things that we're guessing about. These aren't Matthew's opinions on, on these topics. These are things that Jesus 
and the authors of Scripture have clearly laid out for us. These aren't things that we're speculating and wondering about. These are things that we can know with certainty. So three different aspects. The first is this, is the second coming, the second coming of Jesus. You see, other than Jesus' death and resurrection, this is probably the most agreed-upon Christian belief, that Jesus is coming back, that Jesus is going to return again. And really, no Bible-believing Christian denies this truth. It's very certain. It's very clear in Scripture, and it is our hope as believers And I want to point to to just a couple passages that talk about the certainty of Jesus returning again. And let me warn you, we're going to be looking at a lot of different passages tonight. So if this is something that interests you, I would just encourage you to jot down in, in your phone, if you're taking notes, some of these scripture references so you can go back to. But in Acts chapter 1 verse 11, listen to what it says. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And in Matthew 24, 30 says this, then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples on earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man, talking about Jesus, coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Scripture is very clear, and not just in these two passages, but throughout Scripture, that Jesus is going to return again. But when he's coming back, and how exactly he's coming back, well, there are lots of different views and opinions on that. So let's tackle that first question. When is Jesus coming back? You see, people are always trying to predict the return of Jesus. And what they'll do is they'll take passages from the Bible that talk about the end times, that talk about Jesus coming back, and they'll compare them to what they see on the news. They'll compare these passages to to what they see happening all over the world. And they'll try to make a prediction based on those passages and these events about when exactly Jesus is going to come back. For example, in Matthew 24, listen to what Jesus said. He said, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth." pains. So listen, here's what people will do. They will take that passage where, where Jesus is talking about the end times and, and signs that it, the, the, the end times are coming, and then they'll go looking for those things happening in the world. And they'll see an earthquake happen in Haiti. And they'll see a war break out in the Middle East. And they'll see a famine pop up somewhere in the world. And they will assume that these things mean Man, Jesus is about to come back. Like Jesus is coming back within the next couple of years. Jesus is coming back within the next decade or within our lifetime. But here's the problem with that kind of thinking. There have been wars, earthquakes, and famines for thousands of years. Like these aren't new phenomenons. These aren't new experiences to us. And Jesus simply said these are the beginning of things. 
when we see earthquakes, when we see wars, when we see famine, it doesn't mean that Jesus is coming back tomorrow. It doesn't even mean that Jesus is coming back in our, in our lifetime. And Jesus made it very clear that no one, no one knows when he's coming back. Listen to what he said in Matthew 24, verse 36. He said, but about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Jesus said, only God the Father knows when Jesus is coming back. And, and I don't believe it, it's helpful or productive for us to sit around trying to predict when Jesus is going to return. Or, or to make claims that Jesus is going to return in our lifetime. Because these claims, they're not rooted in Scripture. They're simply human opinion. We do not know, we cannot know when Jesus is going to return. But then how about how Jesus is going to return? Like how is Jesus going to come back? This is probably one of the most debated topics when it comes to, to the end times, how Jesus is going to come back. And there's two common views. And if you've grown up in church, the, these terms might be familiar to you. If these aren't familiar to you, no problem at all. But the most common views are something called pre-tribulation and post-tribulation. Pre-tribulation and post-tribulation. Here's what pre-tribulation view is. And, and many of you, this is probably what you've grown up with. This view teaches that Jesus is going to rapture up all the Christians. That Jesus is going to take all the Christians up to heaven before this time of great tribulation. So all the Christians will be raptured up and then there will be the seven year period where things get really, really bad here on earth where the Antichrist will, will set him up, the world will be chaotic for this seven-year span. And at the end of the seven years, Jesus is going to return to earth with all those people that he had raptured up with him. And when he returns, he's going to cast the, the Antichrist and, and Satan into the lake of fire. So there's a rapture where Jesus takes up all the Christians, then there's this time of just chaos, and then Jesus comes back. The other common view is something called post-tribulation, post-tribulation. And this view teaches that Jesus coming back happens in really just a single stage. There is no rapture. That's what this view would teach, that this, this time of tribulation where the, the Antichrist is going to be setting himself up and ruling this time of chaos, Christians are going to live through this time. They're not going to be raptured up ahead of time. And people who hold to this view, they see Christians going through this time of tribulation as being consistent with the rest of Scripture. Because when you, you, you read Scripture, you see that God's people have always faced times of persecution. That God has never promised his people that they would not face trouble in this world. In fact, Jesus said this, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. The, the promise of this view is that one day Jesus is going to come back and make things right. But he's not going to rapture up Christians to heaven ahead of time. But listen, whether you believe pre-tribulation or you believe post-tribulation, the fact of the matter is 
Jesus is going to return. Jesus is going to come back again. And as Christians, we can have confidence about that. The second thing we're going to look at tonight is the resurrection. The resurrection. You see, the major result of the second coming of Jesus is that it triggers the resurrection. And I'm not talking about the the resurrection of of Jesus 2,000 years ago. I'm talking about our future resurrection. You see, the resurrection is one of the most important aspects of our faith as Christians. It's what gives us hope in the face of death. It's what we have to look forward to in the future. And the Bible, it talks a lot about this future resurrection. Listen to what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. He says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised and perishable, and we will be changed. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul says this, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Listen, when Jesus returns, he is going to to bring with him all those who have already died and who have been in heaven with him. And when he comes back and and arrives with those who have been in heaven, those people, their physical bodies that they have left behind here on earth, their physical bodies will be resurrected and reunited with their their spirit. But these bodies that are resurrected, they're not going to be the same as our current bodies. These are going to be new bodies. These are going to be what the Bible calls glorified bodies. Because these, uh, these bodies aren't going to decay. They're not going to be impacted by sin and sickness and death. These are going to be new, resurrected, glorified bodies. Now, I don't know exactly how the resurrection will work. Like, I don't know what's going to happen with somebody who's been cremated. I don't know what's going to happen with somebody who's had, like, their body destroyed or it's at like the bottom of the ocean somewhere like I don't know exactly how it's going to work but the Bible makes it very clear that our physical bodies that we have left behind they will be resurrected but our bodies will also be transformed as well but here's what's important for us to understand it's not just those who are in heaven that will have their bodies resurrected Every single person who has ever lived and ever died will have their body resurrected and reunited with their spirit, both believers in Jesus and non-believers. Listen to what Jesus said about this. John chapter 5, he says, do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice, all people who are in their graves, and they will come out, those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil, they will rise to be condemned. All people who have died will be resurrected. And why is that? Why are all people going to be resurrected? Well, the last thing I want to look at tonight is this. And, and this is the, the, the one, the, the, the topic that I think really has the most impact for every single one of us today, and it's this, is the final 
judgment. The final judgment. You see, the second coming of Jesus, and not only triggers this, this resurrection to happen, but it also brings about the final judgment. And look, there's, there's a lot of debate over when exactly this is going to happen. Is it going to happen at the beginning of Christ's rule on earth? Is it going to happen at the, the end of his reign on earth? There's a lot of debate over, you know, are there multiple judgments or is there just one judgment? But I don't want us to get caught up in, in all those things that we don't know and to, to lose sight of the things that we know for certain. And there are a few things that we know for certain about this final judgment. I just want to run through a few of them. The first one is this, is that Jesus is the one who will judge. At the final judgment, Jesus is the one who will judge. John chapter 5 says this, Moreover, the Father, God the Father, he judges no one, but he has entrusted all judgment to the Son, to Jesus, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. God has entrusted this judgment to his son, Jesus. Jesus is the one who will judge all of humanity, all of creation on judgment day. The second thing that we know is this, is that all people will be judged. Every person who has ever lived will be judged. Matthew 25 says this, when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. He's talking about Jesus is going to, to have all people before him, and he's going to divide people up into two categories. Those who have a relationship with him, those who are believers, and then those who do not know Jesus, who have not trusted in him. Every single person who has ever lived or ever will live will be judged. The third thing that we know for certain is this, is that we will be judged based on our earthly lives. You will be judged based on how you live your life here on earth. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. We're going to be judged based on how we've lived. Based on our actions, our words, our thoughts. We'll be rewarded for the things that we've done that have honored Christ, for, for the way that we've lived that has stored up treasure in heaven. But we'll also be judged for the things that we have done that are sinful, the things that, that, that are contrary to God and his word. We're going to be judged based on how we live our lives. How we live right now, it matters. The fourth thing we know is this. Satan will receive his final judgment. Revelation 20.10 says this. And the devil who deceived them will be thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Last week, Morgan talked about Satan and how Satan, even, even now today, he is on this mission to, to deceive and to lie and to tempt and to accuse us. But one day, Satan and his demons, they will stand before Jesus, stand before God and be judged 
and they will be thrown into the lake of fire. They're going to receive eternal punishment for their rebellion against God. Our enemy has an expiration date. His time of ruling and reigning here on earth is going to come to an end. But then finally, and, and, and this is the, the most important thing I want, want you to leave with tonight. If you haven't been paying attention, if you've been checked out, checked out I just want to invite you for these final couple of minutes to, to, to really pay attention to this. Is that this judgment, it will be permanent. This judgment that, that Jesus is going to give, it's going to be permanent. Listen to what Revelation chapter 20 verse 11 through 15 says. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens, they fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. Everybody, they've been resurrected and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead, they were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person, every single person, was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades, they were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Students, here's what you need to understand. This final judgment, it, it's not a time where we're coming before God. We're coming before Jesus, and Jesus is trying to figure out our spiritual condition. It's not a time where we're coming before him, and Jesus is trying to figure out, man, I, I don't know where I'm going to send you. You know, I don't know if you've made it to heaven. I don't know if you're going to go to hell. It's not a time where you stand before Jesus like he's a, a judge here on earth and you plead your case like you're in court. You're not trying to convince Jesus, hey, look at all these good things I've done. Look at how I've lived. This final judgment is not a time for that. By the time we get to the final judgment, our eternal status, it has already been determined. And it can't change at that point. Like, it will be too late. When you stand before Jesus, there's no trying to convince him to change his mind. At the final judgment, our status will simply be made public. And for those who have trusted in Christ, who have put their faith and hope in Jesus, like, this is a day to look forward to. This will be a day of celebration. As we stand before Jesus and hear the, the, the words, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into your eternal reward. It's a time where we will be, be rewarded for the things that we have done that have contributed to God's kingdom. It is a day that we can look forward to. But students, here's what you need to understand. For those of you who have not trusted in Jesus, this is the worst possible day that you can imagine. Because you will stand before Jesus and have to give an account for your life. And you will be judged. And this judgment will be permanent. And unfortunately, there are many 
who are gonna stand before Jesus on, on judgment day, who assume that their name is in the book of life, who think they're good to go, who think that they have an eternity and heaven secured. They're convinced of that, and they will be shocked to find out that their name is not in the book of life. Listen to what Jesus says here. I think these are our, our, the, the, the most terrifying verses in Scripture. These are verses that, that should cause each of us to evaluate our life. Listen to what Jesus says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Listen to what Jesus says here. Many, not some, not a few, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? They're saying, Jesus, look at all the things we've done for you. Look how good of, uh, of a person, we, we, uh, people we were. We, we went to church. We were baptized. We went on mission trips. We were good people. We followed the rules. Jesus, look at all the good stuff we've done. I know so much about you, Jesus. But listen to what he says. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. I mean, can you just imagine that? You think you're good. You think your, your eternity in heaven is secured. You think your name is in the book of life and you face Jesus and Jesus says, I never knew you. We've never had a relationship. You never really trusted in me. Yes, you, you've known a lot about me. Yes, you've done a lot of good things for me, but I don't know you. There's no relationship here. And at that point in time, it will be too late to change your mind. It'll be too late to do anything to change your eternity. So students, I, I just wonder, just this very basic question, does Jesus know you? Does Jesus know you? Do you have a relationship with him? Is your name written in the book of life? Has there been a moment in your life where you have turned from your sins and placed your faith and trust in Jesus and what he did for you on the cross and his resurrection that he has defeated sin and death? Is there actually a relationship? Is there evidence of a relationship in your life? You know, I think what, what, what Jesus is describing here it's how so many people in, in, in the church world are. People who spend their whole life going to church, knowing things about Jesus, trying to do the right things, following the rules, but have never actually had a relationship with Jesus. And tonight, if you're, you're kind of looking at your life and you're, you're not sure if you have a relationship with Jesus, and you've got to get that figured out. There's simply too much at stake for you to not know, for you to die and, and, and just hope that when you stand before Jesus, man, your name's in the book of life. But Jesus also has made it clear that we can know, that we can have assurance, 
that we can know that we have eternal life. He doesn't want us living our lives just hoping and wondering, fingers crossed, I hope I get to heaven. He says you can know that you have eternal life. So with our heads bowed, Look, I, I, I'm not trying to use this final judgment day as a, a scare tactic to try to, you know, play with your emotions and, and try to get you to, to respond. I'm just trying to lay out as clearly as I can what, what, what the Bible teaches about this day that, that is coming. And tonight, if you're looking at your life and you realize that, that you don't have a relationship with Jesus, that Jesus does not know you, now I want to give you the opportunity to know Jesus tonight, to enter into a relationship with him. And I'm just going to, to invite you right now in, in, in your heart just to, to call out to him. to ask him to to forgive you of your sins. To tell him that that you believe in what he did on the cross for you. That you believe that he, he rose from the dead. And that you want to enter into a relationship with him. That you want to follow him that you want Jesus to to be the Lord of your life. Jesus, I'm not living for myself anymore. Jesus, I'm living for you. Tonight, if if, if that's a a, a prayer that that you're praying, if that's the the desire of your heart to, to call out to God, to enter into a relationship with Jesus, just right now, wherever you're seated, Nobody's looking around. I, I just want to invite you and, and ask you just to, to raise your hand where you're seated. If you would say, you know, tonight I, I want to enter into a, re- a relationship with Jesus. I want to put my faith and my trust in Jesus. See several hands up. All right, you can put your hand back down. Listen, if, if that's you, man, it's, 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 it's so awesome that you've made that decision. But I I don't want you to to leave tonight just praying that prayer and not having a conversation. I want you to find me, John, Morgan. I want you to talk with us about that decision. We wanna wanna celebrate with you. We wanna talk with you about what it means to follow Jesus because it is the greatest decision that you will ever, ever make. God, we thank you for your love for us, for the hope of, of heaven, for the hope of of, of the resurrection, the hope that you're coming back again. But God, we know that that judgment day is is a very real thing, that we're all going to have to stand before you and to give an account for our lives. And ultimately, the, the most important thing about our life is whether or not we have a relationship with you, whether we have put our faith and our trust in you for our salvation. God, we thank you for the students tonight who have made that decision, who have entered into that relationship with you, who have the the hope of eternity spent with you. And God, now as we, we sing, as we worship, as we celebrate, God, I pray that we would just reflect on that truth. God, that we would celebrate the victory that we have 
in your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.